We're going to be in John chapter 20 today, looking at Jesus' visit to his disciples after his resurrection. And there are four points that I want to hit. Uh, Jesus brings peace, Jesus sends his servants, Jesus promises the Spirit, and Jesus blesses our faith. Um, Now, when my girls were little, uh, like really small, we bought them some little CDs, little music CDs to listen to. Um, CDs are round pieces of plastic. (laughs) I don't know. Many of you may not know this. Uh, They have music on them or other sound, possibly. It's very old-fashioned. But back in the early 2000s, that's how people listened to music. It's crazy. Um, but the cool thing about these CDs we got for the girls is they were, they were personalized. So you could buy a CD for the name of your child. So we bought three of these, one for each child. And they had lyrics like, Of all the girls in the world, there's no other girl like Sarah. And just on and on and on. They had... I think, ten songs, and they were personalized so that the girls could hear their own name being sung. Um, so who doesn't like to listen and hear their name? Who, who wouldn't want to hear their name in a song or in a story, right? Uh, of course, we like that. We like that. Sometimes we're tempted to try to make the Bible stories about us, right? We want to look at the Bible and say, I think that's really about me. I mean, I know it's... David and Goliath, but, I mean, I'm brave and strong too. I'm sure I would have faith um, like that. Or when he says that Noah or Job is righteous, maybe I think, gosh, I I mean, I'm not that bad. Maybe I'm kind of good like Noah and Job too. Um, But then we have to remind ourselves, you know, the Bible's really not necessarily completely about us. It's it's really the story of Jesus. Um, And I don't think there are, or any kins in there. There's a Kenaniah. That's about as close as we get. Um, and that's not my birth certificate name. So, um, But in today's passage, we get a little, a little taste, a little taste of this. Because in a passage like today's passage, we, I do get to see myself mentioned right from the lips of Jesus. And he didn't exactly say, well, blessed is my friend Ken. But he does say, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And that, brothers and sisters, that's you and me. That's exciting. So so in today's passage, it's a little like those CDs that I got for the girls. We can we can hear ourselves in this passage. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun when we get there. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you, Lord, for your word. Uh, we thank you for the message that you've preserved for us in your word across the centuries, so that we can read it today. We can trust your promises, and we can know, Father, that you have our best interest at heart, that that your grace, that your forgiveness is for us, even in this time. Father, we thank you for this, and we pray for your blessings on this this, uh, message today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, our scripture is from John 20. I'll be going through 19 through 29, verses 19 through 29. Hear the word of the Lord. Oh, just to set up before I'll I'll say, hear the word of the Lord again, because this is me talking. Uh, The resurrection has occurred, and in the last couple messages, what have we we seen? We've seen um, that Mary went to the tomb to go prepare the body. 
she found the tomb empty. So she ran back to tell the other disciples, they've taken him. Peter and John then went running out to the tomb to see what has happened. And they found the, they found the empty tomb also. And uh, Peter actually went in, and when John looked in, John's gospel tells us that he believed. It doesn't go into any more detail than that. So exactly what he believed and how deeply he understood, I don't think he was quite there yet. But he saw that the grave clothes were laying there in a way that didn't really suggest grave robbers. Right? There was something else going on. And he, he began to believe at that time. So, so then, we're later in that same day. Mary, uh, Mary went back to find him and she actually found Jesus. And when she went back to the tomb, he, he appeared to her. And then he told her, hey, go tell the disciples that I'm no longer dead. Tell them that I'm coming. And so she had gone back and told them. But now, as we see in today's text, how deeply they understood or grasped that, maybe not completely yet. So hear the word of the Lord from John 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so we see in the beginning, Jesus brings peace. I'll reiterate some of the text here. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad. So put yourself for a moment in the shoes of these disciples. It's the same day, Easter Sunday. Mary Magdalene has reported that Jesus was alive, but they weren't really ready to completely believe this, were they? Uh, Verse 8 reports that John believed when he saw the tomb, but then he went to his home. Uh, Now the disciples are locked in a room in fear, not confidence, fear. That's what the text says, they're in fear. Imagine what they must have been feeling, the mix of emotions in this room, right? There's fear clearly stated, fear from the Jews. What are they afraid of? Well, they just saw Jesus crucified two days before, right? So clearly they could be next. If If the Pharisees want to come after them, they're vulnerable. They were followers. So there's fear. What about guilt and shame? 
Were they loyal followers of Jesus? Mm. They didn't do that great. When Jesus was taken, when he was tortured, when he was killed, they let him go. Yeah. So, so they, they may have been experiencing some shame and guilt. Imagine Peter specifically. And Jesus told Peter and warned him, you're going to deny me. And Peter said, oh, no, no, never. I wouldn't do that. And Jesus said, oh, yeah, actually you will. So imagine how Peter feels. And now he's seen the empty tomb and he's starting to think, what is happening? Grief, how about grief? They're still, they're still fighting with grief. They loved this man and now he's gone. That's grief and it's fresh. It's only a day and a half. It's only a couple days old, two nights, three days. Then Jesus was there in their midst. He came and stood among them. And what did he say? Peace. Shalom alakim, or peace be with you. It's a little fancier than our hello, right? But it wasn't really more unusual. That was a traditional greeting. Shalom. But in this case, it carries much deeper meaning. This peace that he's announcing means way more than just high, right? Uh, John 14, 27, in the Upper Room Discourse, he said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is right before the crucifixion. And so in our Sunday school class this morning, we talked about this peace. Should we expect to be at peace before God, before the presence of God? Is that a reasonable thing to expect? We look back at Isaiah. Isaiah experienced the presence of God. And what was his reaction? Do you remember when he he had the vision in the throne room of, of the Almighty? And the angels were singing, holy, holy, holy. And he said, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. This was Isaiah's, this was Isaiah's emotion in the presence of God, Heart, farthest thing from peace, terror, fear, right? So what is Jesus talking about peace? The peace that Jesus brought, he paid for on the cross, and he just did that two days before. Jesus said, it is finished. It is paid for. The debt is paid in full. The punishment has been executed. Isaiah also said, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. So where there wasn't peace, where there was conflict, now that conflict has been resolved. Jesus has paid for it. And now when he comes among them and says, Shalom, it isn't just high. It's really peace. I've paid for it. It's all okay. Romans tells us, For if while while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through His life? So now, Jesus' death reconciled, brought peace between man and God. The curtain was torn, remember that? And then now Jesus is alive again. And that life is the power of salvation. The disciples needed peace. We need peace. And Jesus came to bring peace through his own sacrifice to reconcile sinful, rebellious people with a perfect and holy God. And his first word to his disciples was shalom. 
peace. Do you need peace? I know I do. I need the peace of knowing that God is in control, whatever goes on around me. And believe me, there's a lot going on around us, isn't there? We need peace. Jesus told the disciples in John 16, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace, but in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Boy, do I need to know this. Do you feel tribulation right now? Do you feel the unrest from the world? Look to the peace that Jesus gives. It's permanent. It's powerful. It's ultimate. The tribulation that the world gives can only be temporary. The world only has so much power, but God has the ultimate power to restore life, even in the face of death. So we need that peace from the world, don't we? We also need the peace of knowing that God has forgiven me for my sins. Just like Isaiah felt terror in the presence of a holy God, if we understand our position and God's position, terror is a reasonable thing to feel. We need that peace to understand, wow, I've been forgiven. We've been reconciled. Not because I'm good, not because I did something right, but because God has made a way through Jesus. I need to remember Jesus paid that price. I'm no longer considered God's enemy, but rather an adopted son. And I can peacefully rest in him. I don't need to worry. Then Jesus sends his servants, having having brought peace and come to them. And he said to them again, peace be with you. So he says it again. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now Jesus is reiterating this peace to them. But now he's telling them there's work to do. There's work to do. The work is to go out into the world and tell the news of what Jesus has done. So Jesus' peace is not the peace of retirement. Uh, It's not the peace of just resting and relaxing. It is a peace of purpose. Okay, As Paul told the Ephesians, we are his workmanship created for good works in Christ. So this isn't a passive salvation where we're merely avoiding some punishment. No, it's, it's, a, it's an active salvation. We have been bought for a purpose, to spread his gospel, to, to do work in his mission, to build his kingdom. We're brought into his family for this purpose. So if you think of salvation as an escape from punishment, boy, is that, is that a shallow and short-sighted view of what salvation is. That is only the first step. Yes, escape from punishment is, is real. But we've been saved for something, not just from something. Saved for this mission. Uh, we get the privilege of participating in God's work in this, in this world, of saving others and restoring all things, making it new. So when we, when we talk about being sent, and, and often we want to think, well, where am I being sent to? Because it feels like I'm just sitting still. Where, where am I being sent to? Well, have you thought about the idea that maybe you've been sent to where you are? Maybe, maybe you are where God wants you working for Him. And who? Who are you sent to? Maybe the people that you know. Maybe it's not hard. Maybe it's not complicated where you have to go find someone to be sent to because you already have people around you that you've been sent to, to minister to, to talk to, to witness to. We don't have to make this complicated. 
And finally, Jesus promises his spirit. When he, when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a really interesting thing here, what is happening. What's the difference between this and Pentecost? Because we know when we go look into Acts in just a few chapters, we're going to see Pentecost. We're going to see the, the coming of the Holy Spirit and the manifestation of, of the speaking in tongues and the power of the Spirit. So what, what is happening here when he breathes on them and says to receive the Holy Spirit? Well, I did some digging. I'm no Greek scholar, but I leaned on D.A. Carson a little bit. And he tells me <laughs> that this breathed on them is, it's, it's an interpretation, really, that, that the on them part isn't explicitly in the Greek. But, but a lot of interpreters infer it because of what he says um, about this authority that he's conferring. So, but remember, looking back, he's promised the Spirit before. This is not new. In chapter 14 of John, he says, These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. So one, one way to look at this, when he breathes on them, and then he says, Receive the Spirit, or he breathes and says, Receive the Spirit, it could be also a symbol, right? What, what does this sound like, this breathing? Sounds like Genesis, doesn't it? When God made Adam from the dirt and breathed life into him. And we know that Jesus gives us new life through his sacrifice. Now he's showing up and he's breathing on them to demonstrate this new life. God breathed life into Adam. I'm breathing new life into you. And Jesus told Nicodemus, you have to be born of the water and the spirit. There's a rebirth, a recreation that Jesus is doing here. And he did tell them in in chapter 16, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus is saying, just sequentially, he's going to go away and then he's going to send the Spirit after. So, and there's there's nothing else in the text here that manifests uh, a direct presence of the Spirit. So it, it seems like this is a an instruction to them, just kind of like in Luke, he, he instructs them, hey, go and wait for the Spirit, and then they go and wait, and then the Spirit comes. It seems like it's kind of like that. He's saying, receive the Spirit. Be prepared, because the Spirit's going to come. Be prepared. And then he said this very interesting thing. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. But if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. That's pretty remarkable language. What do we do with that? Uh, We talked about this in Sunday school. One interpretation that the church has taken is that the church literally can decide who gets forgiven and who doesn't, and when and under what conditions. And at times in church history, they've actually used that as a way to extract money from people. Oh, you want to pay some money? Okay. Well, it's this much to get forgiven for this. It's this much to get forgiven for this. Do you think that that's what Jesus meant by this? Pretty sure not. I'm pretty sure that is not at all what Jesus meant by this. Is Jesus saying that, is he giving the disciples the right to deny salvation to people? Do we think that that's what's going on here? I don't. I don't. Here's how I look at this. In Mark 2, Jesus heals the paralytic. You remember that? And 
And before he heals him, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And remember, the Pharisees were there and they were shocked and kind of horrified. And Jesus said, oh, you have a problem with me pronouncing forgiveness of sins? Well, just so you know that I have authority to do this, I'm going to heal this man. And then he heals him to demonstrate his power and his authority. So is Jesus saying then, by this action, is he saying, it's not only God that can forgive, I can too? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, yeah, you're right, only God can forgive. Guess who I am? Right? That's what Jesus is saying. He, by his forgiveness of that man, he's declaring his divinity. He's not saying that suddenly men have become empowered to forgive or not forgive. He's saying, I'm divine, I'm God, and I can forgive. So, so what, what do we do with this? What is happening? How do we, how do we perceive this forgive and not forgive thing? John, uh, John 3, 18, after, after the famous verse... John 3.18 says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now, Jesus' gospel is a gospel of forgiveness, right? And he is authorizing us. He is empowering us. He's empowering the disciples. Go and spread my gospel of forgiveness. Proclaim forgiveness for those who believe. That is what I'm telling you to do. Go proclaim this forgiveness. It's a powerful message but the power of the forgiveness it still still rests with God. God has the power to forgive. We have the power to proclaim the forgiveness of God. And we, that's what we must do. Romans 10 tells us, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Paul's saying there, Somebody's got to go send the message. Somebody's got to give this message of forgiveness and get it out in the world. That's the way God works. So that's what we need to do. We've been empowered to to bring this message of forgiveness. We are proclaiming forgiveness for those who believe. And you know what? We're proclaiming unforgiveness for those who don't believe because Jesus said they're condemned already. Okay? So that's a fair warning we have the authority to give both the warning and the blessing, okay? The blessing of forgiveness and the warning of unforgiveness for unbelief. Speaking of unbelief, the last section is about Thomas. Jesus blesses our faith. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, I'm going to read, uh, read this a little bit. Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. This is still on Easter. He wasn't with them on Easter. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. That's what he told them when they, when they told him what they'd seen. Now, eight days later, this is a whole week and a day beyond, right? So this is the following a week after and then Monday. The disciples were inside again. Think about this. It, because they're still locking themselves in a room a week later. So has the, has the full message and power soaked in yet? It, it, it doesn't seem like it's completely there yet for them. But they're still hiding. And now, but, but now Thomas is with them. He was not with them before. 
Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Where was Thomas the first Sunday? The rest of them were there. Where's Thomas? Hiding by himself? Did he not want to be with the other disciples? Because he thought, well, you know, maybe if we're split up, we're harder to track, track down. I don't know. Was he, was he just so upset he couldn't stand to be with other people? Was he so devastated by the crucifixion that he had no energy and he was just wiped out? We don't really know. He wasn't with them. Um, and, but we can see his attitude when they tried to tell him, Thomas, we've seen him. We've seen him. Things aren't like they look. And Thomas said, no, nah, unless I see it myself, I'm not going to believe. That's what Thomas told him. These disciples that he'd walked with for what, three years? Did he not trust them? Did he not believe them? He wasn't willing to believe them here. So they told him. In fact, the Greek, uh, according to my friend D.A. Carson, the Greek implies that this telling, this verse when it says uh, the, the disciples had told him, that implies like a persistent telling. Like they're insisting, Thomas, really, you've got to listen. We're serious about this. You've got to believe us. But he wasn't going to have it. He wasn't going to believe. Um, I think there's a difference between doubt and unbelief, okay? This isn't just a doubt as if to say, are, are you really sure? Like, I want to believe, but are you really sure? I don't think that's what Thomas is saying. I think Thomas is being a bit willful here, maybe even angry. Unless I see, I will never believe. That's what he said. Now think about this for a second. Think about Lazarus, resurrected by Jesus, raised, raised out of his tomb. Do you remember how Lazarus came out of the grave? With his grave clothes on, right? Jesus exited the grave clothes, right? When Jesus was glorified in his body and resurrected in that spot, the grave clothes were left in the tomb. There's a difference between how Lazarus was raised and how Jesus was raised, okay? And I'm bringing that up because Jesus just showed up in their room, a locked room. Jesus just showed up. When he was raised, he was resurrected through his grave clothes, and now his, his glorified body is able to do things that our merely physical bodies cannot do. Not just resurrected, but capable of being physically present and also passing through physical boundaries. And notice that when Jesus shows up, what does he say? Again, peace, peace. Now this peace is for Thomas too, because Thomas is there now. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Now Mary, remember Mary at the tomb, when she grabbed onto Jesus, Jesus said, oh, no, 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 don't cling to me. Don't cling to me. I have not yet ascended to my Father. But Thomas is invited to, to touch. Why? Why the difference? I think that Jesus was saying to Mary, you don't have to hold on to me. I'm not yet leaving. We still have time. You're not about to lose me. But you got a message to go deliver. Go tell the disciples. So stop clinging to me and go tell the disciples, I'll still be here. You'll see me some more. Right? 
But Mary's not struggling with unbelief. Mary knows that he's risen. She recognized his voice when he called her by name. Thomas, Thomas hasn't believed. So Jesus is using his physical presence as the means to draw Thomas to belief. This is a great kindness. He doesn't say, I told you I would rise again, and because of your unbelief, I deny you. He could have. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, well, if your faith was really real, Thomas, you wouldn't have doubted me. I told you what would happen. He doesn't do that. He says to Thomas, in essence, I know your faith is weak. It's okay. Come touch me. I love you, and I want you to completely believe. Right? Jesus offered himself as evidence to Thomas. Thomas had no right, no right to demand this. But Jesus gave it anyway. And Jesus also rebuked Thomas a little bit, saying, Do not disbelieve, but believe. This speaks more to more than simple doubt. It's, I think, willful unbelief for Thomas. We call him doubting Thomas, but it's a bit more. Remember, he had said, Unless I see, I will never believe. Now, many other people in Jesus' day, uh, a lot of the Jewish leaders, they were, they were willful unbelievers. And Jesus left them alone. He left them in their unbelief in many cases. But not Thomas. He intervened. You know, when, when some demanded a sign from Jesus, Jesus said, I'm not giving you a sign. When Thomas said, if I don't see it, I won't believe, what did Jesus do? He showed it to him. Not because, not because Thomas had a right to demand it, because Jesus loved Thomas. So he had, he had two days before given himself to pay for Thomas's sins, but now he's still willing to patiently allow Thomas to make this demand. And how did Thomas respond? Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. John does not tell us that Thomas inspected the wounds. In fact, I don't think he did. I I think like Mary, when Thomas saw him and heard his voice, it was over. I think Thomas knew who he was talking to. So Thomas immediately spoke these words of testimony and worship. These are not just words of theological confession. These are worship. Remember, there are other confessions that we see in the Gospels. Peter said to Jesus, when Jesus said, who do you say I am? He said, well, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Okay? When Jesus walked on water, the disciples in the boat said, truly, you are the Son of God. When the Roman soldier saw how Jesus died, what did he say? Surely this was the Son of God. All these statements are powerful and true. But Thomas's is different. He said, my Lord... My God. See, it's personal now. It's personal. He's not just saying abstract theological truths. He is claiming the truths as his own. And he's claiming Jesus as his own. He's not just affirming Jesus' general identity. He's placing himself at Jesus' feet, under Jesus' lordship, in his authority, and saying, you are my master and my God. I worship you. This is so powerful. 
Now John before had said that that his belief also came from seeing uh, when he saw the tomb empty. Um, so I think John has some sympathy for Thomas that that seeing helps the belief. But then what does Jesus say after this? Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Brothers and sisters, this this is my favorite part of this whole lesson. It's one of my favorite verses in all Scripture because it talks about us. It, It directly talks about us. Jesus was so kind to Thomas. But you know what? He's kind to us. Uh, he gave Thomas the chance to see the evidence and turn away from his unbelief. But he's kind to us too. He's given us this written testimony for gospel writers. The, the words carried down accurately, reliably, words we can trust. And you know what else? Fulfilled scripture. Scripture that we can document as having been written before Jesus ever walked on the earth and fulfilled in Jesus' time. That's remarkable. We, we don't, we're not owed that by Jesus, right? We, we can't demand that Jesus give us such evidence. But He did it anyway. He gave us this evidence for our belief, for our faith, and for His glory. And we must turn from unbelief to belief. And it's interesting because even after giving us all the evidence and making it easy for us, He still blesses us for believing. I have just a few words of of conclusion if the musicians want to come up um, for our time of response. So, what, what did you hear today? What do you need to believe and embrace? Jesus is calling us to believe and embrace. Do you need to accept this peace that Jesus paid for? If you haven't accepted it, here's the deal. You are an enemy of God. If you have not accepted Jesus' peace, you're an enemy of God. For many of us, that's hard to listen to. We don't think of ourselves as God's enemy. But that is what the Bible teaches us. Until we accept Jesus' sacrifice, we actually are God's enemy. And we do not want to be God's enemy. But what does He require to reconcile that? His belief. All through the book of John, we see belief, belief, belief. The purpose of the miracles, the signs. The purpose of the book of the gospel itself was that we would believe because Jesus said, if you believe who I am, if you believe what I say, that faith is what I'm looking for. That faith is what saves. So, Jesus died to end this conflict between us and God. If you are at war with God, you're not going to win. You have to embrace the peace that Jesus offers. But if you have believed, if you have believed, and we talked about this in Sunday school again this morning too, if you have believed, we can still sometimes question. We can still sometimes have our faith falter, right? We might need to, to remind ourselves of the peace of knowing that God's my shepherd, He's got me. He holds me in His hand and nothing that the world does can take me away from that. Right? Let's remind ourselves of this. We we tell ourselves, truly, that once we're saved, once we have believed, then we're sealed. 
We're always saved. We're always protected in His hand. We can't be taken away. We might need to remind ourselves of that, that beautiful truth, that this Jesus, this generous and kind Jesus is the one who saved us, and He won't let us go, just like He didn't let Thomas go. You might need to accept this mission. We're told that we're being sent. Have you accepted the mission to be sent? Are you, are you think you're waiting for orders? Are you trying to uh, look the other way when the orders are getting passed out? No, we need to accept this mission, recognize that our salvation is an active salvation, that we need to go do things. We're not working for our salvation, but we are working out of our salvation. Who do you know that needs to hear this? Who do you need to know? Who do you know that needs to hear the good news of forgiveness from Jesus? I'm sure you know someone. Do you, do you need to remember the blessing, this blessing of peace? I do. I need to remember this all the time because so many things from the world disturb, disturb my peace, and I need to remember Jesus brings peace. But now remember, when, Jesus, when, they, reserved, when they deserved rebuke, and sometimes I deserve rebuke, he brought kindness to that room. When they were afraid, he brought reassurance. And when Thomas demanded proof, Jesus gave it. What a generous, what a kind Savior we have. He loves you. Will you turn to him?